Sue, this is something that you had said to me, I think in our first coaching session, that it doesn't always have to be so hard. And I didn't understand that at the time. So that's what I had meant now is like a period. I'm not sure Sue understood it either, honestly. <laughs> Present tense. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Sue. Hey, Leah. How are you today? Oh, I just took a walk with you. <laughs> I'm so great. I mean, I was going to do a walk at the gym and then you were available and that was just the greatest treat. So I'm so glad I lifted for 15 minutes and then walked with you. How are you? I'm good. I um, just got back from a trip to Vermont where I'm planning to move with my partner in the spring. And I have this commitment since I'm moving to Vermont from Colorado that I'm no longer allowed to complain about the cold. So I'm really practicing getting out, even though there's snow on the ground. Am I allowed to complain to you about the cold? Oh, yeah. It'll make me feel superior. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we are again, Leah. Hey, Sue Podcast. This is a live, unscripted executive coaching forum for leaders. I'm Sue Heilbronner, your host, and I'm joined by guest coach Leah Perlman, co-founder of The Welcoming Way. Today, we are joined by Rachel Beisel, who is the SVP of Marketing at Molecule. And that's with a K, right, Rachel? It is. Cool. And fractional C-suite consultant and brilliant in all of the ways. And Rachel, I'm realizing I met you 13 years ago when you were but a Sprite. That's scary. (laughs) Time flies. Wow. Yeah. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So before we jump in, I just want to do a little check-in. Rachel, what are a couple of things that are hot for you happening in life or work or whatever you want to talk about? Oh man, I feel like I have accomplished a lot of the goals that I had set for myself, both personally and professionally. And now I'm at, I I don't want to say at crossroads, but I'm at a next phase of growth and I am trying to figure out what is that next phase of growth. Love that. How do you know you're at that junction point? Ah, so if I start professionally, I just recently completed all of Colorado's 14ers. So climbed all of those. And that was a 10 year goal for me. Um, so that came to a close. I, uh, also closed a marriage <laughs> personally, which is, is not a bad thing. And, and we are friends and, uh, that we've, I've grown since then as well too. And also now in a different partnership that seems really healthy and got to apply a lot of the things that I got to practice and learn in my marriage. Um, And then professionally, I took a two-year sabbatical that helped get some of those 14ers too out of the way, but (laughs) took a two-year sabbatical and and really did a lot of focus and wrote a book and um, about my personal life that led into my professional life. So there were a lot of things that came to a close and now I am looking and I need to, if you've ever had to rewrite your bio, your professional bio, I don't know what I would put now. Hmm. Got it. What's uh, one or two things you learned going through your marriage and the dissolution of your marriage? Oh, I think I learned, and I actually remember this from one of the conscious leadership summits that I attended with you. And I even acknowledged in that, that summit that I wasn't ready to not have a scarcity mindset. So I think that's something that then allowed me to take a sabbatical to leap into the unknown alone. Um, so I think that was one of the things is, is coming more into 
an area of, I don't want to say abundance. I know that sounds cliche, but um, not being so scared to, to make some of those decisions on my own. So that was one thing. I think the other thing was just learning how to actually practice communication. And that was something that I'd never had that modeled before growing up. And I could do that in a professional setting, but in a personal setting, it was just completely different without getting your emotions heightened. For some reason I could disassociate at work, but can't do that personally. And not that you want to disassociate, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I don't actually, I'm oh, intrigued really? by that. Um, yeah. Can you say more about that difference? Cause I, I mean, my sense of you, I know you a little bit is that you are a highly connected person and I mainly know you professionally. So are you still, and you, we stepped away from disassociating, but do you still hold the belief that your emotions are different in those two settings? And do you want them to be? No. And they used to be. And I think I have converged those two areas and in positive directions. I think I was, had a pendulum over here in professional settings and a pendulum over here in personal settings and can hold both beliefs at the same time. And my leadership style has completely changed as a result. I think it worked for the better. And um, I think just in my personal relationships as well, it's changed for the better. One question I have for you is, I heard you say, I want to know what this next stage of growth is going to be. What would you have if you knew that? Oh, that's a good question. In my mind, I think I'd have a checklist <laughs> that is something <laughs> that I can then have to focus on. So an area of focus right now, it's a little blurry and that's something that I would like to, I, I'm very, I think, achievement oriented and I am in a period of rest right now, which I've also accepted as a positive thing. And now I'm looking for that next thing that I, I should do. And I don't know what I would have besides the checklist. That's something that I should probably explore a little more. Yeah. And maybe we can do that. Um, I just realized before we go on, can you define a 14er for people who are listening? Oh uh, yeah. It's a, it's a 14,000 foot peak and Colorado has 58 of them and they have major traverses. I finished on the maroon bells this year doing the bells traverse and yeah, it, it's like the tallest peaks in Colorado essentially. So it's mountaineering. And, um, I, was thinking of adding in the California 14ers. There's 15 of those. So I always like to have a personal goal that's somewhat athletic oriented. Sue, I think you maybe know, um, but was a very big athlete before. So that's still a big, strong part of my personal identity. And so I like weaving that in as well. Great. And I, it occurred to me to ask you to say that when you said something like, I'm usually a very achievement oriented person. <laughs> and my mind said, oh, you think? Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about the 14ers is there are these checklists, just like Rachel's describing. A lot of people print out the checklist and then they keep trying to, that makes sense. I, have um, I love where you were going, Leah, around mm -hmm. that inquiry. You okay to stay with that, Rachel, for a little longer? Yeah. Yeah. So... I heard you say, if I knew where I was going, and and by the way, you're like most of us, we 
think we'll be better off if we know the path ahead. Mm -hmm. um, be, and what I heard you say is because I'd have focus, I'd know what to focus on. Yeah. What If you don't have focus right now, what do you have? What is your experience of not knowing what this next inflection mm -hmm. point of growth is about? Yeah, I think, and I've had to get more comfortable with this of, of receiving. So just not pushing for something to happen. And again, Sue, this is something that you had said to me, I think in our first coaching session, that it doesn't always have to be so hard. And I didn't understand that at the time. So that's what I had meant now is like a I'm period. not sure Sue understood <laughs> it either, honestly. <laughs> Present tense. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself saying that more now too, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's allowing what to be open to things that come to me that I could then potentially focus on. So I am trying to be a bit more receptive and, and allowing other people to also within my circle or sphere come into their power as opposed to me forcing it. I think that gives me like a sense of ease, but also unease because I have to also trust. So I think that's, that's something that I'm developing as well through this period. I'm struck by the words I'd have to trust. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with trusting? Why not? I get to trust. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think past patterns, if I had allowed that when I were younger, it would have hindered me. Whereas as an adult, not trusting is hindering me. So I think those are things that I have to, to let go of and, and allow for trust. And it's scary. It's, it's vulnerable. It makes you feel like you're going to throw up, which is kind of exciting. Like, I mean, also like climbing and you get that adrenaline rush too, just by trusting, <laughs> I think speaking for myself. So I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. I think it's my programming that I have to override. I noticed two things. One thing I noticed is an incredible desire to have you talk like a seven-year-old. <laughs> really? Yeah. And just like, you let want go me of to talk like a seven year old, or you want me to talk like a seven year old? Yeah. Like, if, if we you, can all talk like oh, seven year old, <laughs> <laughs> I frequently do. Um, but yeah, if like, I just, my story is I feel you tuning into these concepts and I hear your awareness and all that you've learned. And I'm just wondering if you could just get dumber. So um, it might be easier for you to understand what you want. Yeah, no, that I literally, I bought a book that I just call How to Be I a I love that you, <laughs> you're responding to my request that you get dumber by telling me about a book. Uh, but it's, it's it's the emotion thesaurus. So <laughs> intellectualize everything before then I allow myself to feel. So mm -hmm. it, it's helped me connect to like recognizing these are feelings in the body. These are how it manifests in the mind and, and then just getting down to, okay, this is, this is how you would define love <laughs> or this is how you would define trust. Um, but it's three pages of information that you can consume. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I hear you. So try it out. So just be seven. And mm -hmm. also if you could just for this exercise, let go of the thought that when you were young, it served you to not trust 
Just let go of that for the moment. Mm-hmm. Just pretend that weren't true. You know, you can keep that thought for when you're done or five minutes from now. But just for now, be seven and see if you can talk about wants from the mindset of a seven-year-old who is innocent and trusting. Mm. That's tough. Ooh. How many minutes are we into this podcast already? I mean, fortunately, you're really goal-oriented. You should be able to nail this. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, what's what's wrong with trusting? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, just talk about what I heard was just talk about what, what you want. What I want. Wants and what you want. Right yeah. now. You have an unscripted future. Hmm. That's the part that's fuzzy. Uh, And how does seven-year-old you feel about the fuzziness? Ah, this is rough. Um, Hmm. Leah, will you do a little bit of a meditation for seven-year-old Rachel around fuzziness? I love that question, and I'm worried that she's intellectualizing it. Yeah. Yeah. The first... Let yourself, Rachel, just let yourself feel exactly how you feel. There might be some paralysis or wanting to figure it out or get it right. Just whatever you're noticing, just let that be here. Notice if there's any mind stuff happening. See if you can just let the mind do what it's doing. And then become aware of your knees. You too, Sue. You too, everybody else. Just notice your knees. Notice how relaxed they are and bendy, bouncy. Hmm. Just notice the ease in your knees. (laughs) (laughs) Just as best you can, let it be okay to not know. In our innocent seven-year-old trusting self, the world isn't a place of exploration. Just let it be okay to not know and wonder. Just opening to the possibility there actually is nothing to figure out or know. This is just an unfolding adventure. How's that? That's good. And I love, so Rachel, with that, thank you. Stay with that feeling and that person, you keep your eyes open or closed, it doesn't matter. And just think about the concept of fuzziness, the experience of fuzziness, which Leah touched on. And in your inner seven-year-old, what arises for you as your seven-year-old feels into fuzz, unknowing, space, What's here? 
scared. Think, shouldn't think, feel. Wanting to play. Mm -hmm. But also make sure that my family was safe before I get to go play. Wow. Yeah. And so what if you just, what I heard you say is I want to go play, but also want my family to be safe. And what if you just try that on as an and, that you want to play and you want your family to be safe. That those might not be at odds with each other. And is a good word. And I heard you're scared. When I tune into the sort of, I when I tune into how you talk about phases of your inner work and your work, there's like a, this, the checklist theme feels really persistent. If I get this done, if I have this, then I will have freedom or then I will have play. Mm -hmm. Is there still a concern when you articulate as a current person who is not seven years old, what is the safety concern? Is it the same keeping my family safe or is it something else? Um, I think there's elements of that, but also me being safe in that too. So security in terms financially, personally in love, secure in sense of self. Maybe sense of self is fuzzy because it's not been, <laughs> myself has been defined by these other two things. Yeah, so far. So far. How how did you know you were safe enough to take a two-year sabbatical? Oh, that took two years. Lots and lots of therapy leading into that. Then working with a financial coach. So not an advisor that's separate, but an actual coach, which was very helpful and setting up those goals to do that. And also knowing that if I didn't take that, I would also be, I don't want to say penalized, but could potentially owe a lot more in my divorce. <laughs> so, cause I didn't have a prenup. So that was, it, there was a strategic business decision. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone listening will get that. Yeah, I Having dated many men going through divorces, I get that. Okay, yep. that's that's um, really practical. Yeah, and then um, I think the other piece of it was not just the financial aspect, but knowing that I didn't have a community, I moved to a new city um, away from my community, and I wasn't going to be able to do this alone. I wanted to spend that time developing friendships and being a better friend to people, so um and it worked. Like I, I love where I live and love the people that are in my circle. So that's like new family, if you will. Yeah. Oh, that's a great, I love all those motivations coming together for you. Rachel, when I say the word arrived, you've been a professional for, I don't know, at least 13 years, probably longer, 15 years. I don't know. How long have you been a professional? Uh, almost, yeah, 15, 20 years. 
Great. Yeah. So I want you to just check out the concept of arrived and just inside your head, just see if you can just say, I have arrived. What arises is you hold that thought, I have arrived. There may be outright resistance. You may hate the idea of arrival. You may think it's stupid, whatever. What comes up for you? I'm not linking that to anything. Like it's almost blank. Like intellectually, I know I have. Like I've far surpassed any of the goals that I had for like graduating high school was like the top <laughs> previously. Wow. So like beyond that, like everything else has been icing on the cake or getting just moving away from where I grew up. So intellectually, intellectually, but yeah. I don't have an association or a feeling with that. Huh. Is there any thought like I haven't arrived or feeling like there's somewhere else to get? I think I don't know what, what does arrived mean? <laughs> so for now, now I'd like you to hold the thought I have arrived. And I get that you don't know quite what it means, but I'd like you just to sit with it and I'll throw in some thoughts on what I mean when I say arrived. And I, I just want you to imagine for a moment that you have arrived. Mm -hmm. And what I mean when I say that is you have plenty, you have an enormous range of talents from the physical to the intellectual, to the creative, you, you, one of the widest ranging people I've ever met. So that literally anything you wanted, like a ham sandwich or a hundred mile bike ride or whatever, anything you wanted or both. Right. Well, <laughs> she could actually do both. Um, so that, that it would just appear that it would just arise because of everything you are and everything you've done up to this moment. And as such, there's nothing left that you have to do. Anything you do from here is just a desire. So who would you be if you held the belief, I've arrived? I'd probably be a lot more relaxed. And I think a part of that is then sharing what I know with others. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Is I think, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think like the way that I shared prior to I don't know. I don't want to call it like, like just this massive change that I had in my life was very much forced, like masculine pushing and believing in people probably when they didn't believe in themselves, which was positive, but not everyone responds to that. And after this shift, it's been more, how can I serve? Huh. So, okay. So if you could imagine yourself arrived just for this moment, how could you serve yourself? Saying yes to things that I want to do and not putting it off 
for responsibility sake. I'm already pretty responsible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Glad you said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it would probably be saying yes more to things that I like and, and no more to things that I don't want to do to free up space for the things that I do. And so when I hear you, you know, you talked at the beginning of, you said not quite a crossroads. And what I keep hearing is you're at like an inflection point of your growth and that the checklist is the old that's done. You've, you've checked off enough checklists <laughs> and that what's wanting the new phase of growth and why there's fear, because it, it's not the same as what you're excellent at, which is checklists mm -hmm. is spontaneity is openness is yeses and nos as they arise and you're a changing person. So if you have a checklist, you might not be so available to, you know, the list keeps us kind of in the personality of the person who made the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That is such a good point. I've never thought about it that, that the, the, in sort of Byron Katie terms, the checklist is, it's just a memory. It, like it, it has no relevance right, right. now. Yep. Right. But it has one piece of relevance, which is it keeps us from having to feel like we don't know. Yeah, that's true. Which is scary, <laughs> or we, especially if those of us who have lack of trust, or I just wanted to say this one thing for some of us being seven, wasn't a safe time. Right. So that, you know, that seven-year-old is more a call to innocence than necessarily safe. a safe time. I just wanted to say that. And for a lot of us, we haven't had safety always in our lives and checklists can give us mm -hmm. that. But at some point, like where I, what I hear you are is ready for play and you already know you're responsible. So that part of you is going to care for your family and yourself and your safety. Mm -hmm. And then what would life without checklists and even goals, what might be possible? Yeah. I wonder how could how could Rachel add some play to the experience of letting go of checklists? I mean, one thing I'll say, so for people who know the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram four, but I have a very strong three wing. So the threes often like to accomplish a lot. And sometimes for me, it's just calming to make lists. It's really relaxing. But a game might be to make the list. And then cut it up and make a collage out of it <laughs> or ball it up and throw it in the fireplace. Like make it, let that part have its way, but then not hold it so seriously. Yeah. Write it and with your left hand uh, yeah. <laughs> or your non-dominant hand. <laughs> I, I am an eight wing seven. So okay, <laughs> um, seven would be fun to explore a bit more there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Rachel. We dove into your check-in and I want, I wanted to open space. You came with something or another thing that you wanted to talk about. It may have been what we've been talking about, but it may not be. So is there anything you want to raise? Well, I think that was it is I don't, well, do I even need to have a professional bio? Like when someone asks, I feel like I do. I mean, obviously I'm not to a point where I can just retire and, and play all the time, but that's that's the thing that I am tr struggling with. I've done a lot. I have arrived in a, every checklist, but how do I congeal that to 
to not only say this is who I am and this is what I want to pursue. And why do you need to have a bio that says all that stuff? I don't think I, I don't think I have to necessarily. I think that's, or maybe it's part of that safety thing of like yeah. it's a checklist and you see it. And, and this is, this is the thing about arrival. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say for myself that people often when I'm speaking or I'm running a panel or something, they, they want to introduce me or they want me to introduce myself. And every now and then I will introduce myself. But the only reason I will introduce myself with my professional bio is, which is, I think, you know, by most measures, pretty good is so that people actually pay attention to me when I talk. Like there are just certain people in the room who are going to care about that. And if I'm there for a day and I might as well have their buy-in, I might do that. But I'd say about 95% of my life, I aggressively just show up. I actually mm-hmm. have a sign in my office and it just says show up. And when, and we're you and I are the same Enneagram type. And so when I tune into you and I think about you just trusting that the next thing will be there, certainly with money. Like this seems just true for you. I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but like, if you decide you want to make X amount of money, $50,000 over the next four months, I assume you have a way of doing that fairly easily. Is that right? Yes. And does that require planning or anything? I mean, it would require a bit of effort, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, and that's maybe part of like letting go of like, can I direct my own path as opposed to have to write this to be a part of a, a different organization or to be taken seriously? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a tool. So whenever you need to manipulate the world to believe that you're serious and you have a, some story that you need to put in these plugs to say that, I get that. That makes sense. I also noticed for me, it feels sometimes it's like a crutch and it's helpful to me. It allows me to stand up a little straighter right at the beginning, get over fear. It, it helps in that vein. But one thing that I have learned primarily from Leah is that the less inclined I am to follow the rules that everyone else is saying I need to do to do the thing, the next thing, the less I follow that format, the more abundance I have in my life, which is a concept I do not consider trite. I take that really seriously. Uh, And one thing Leah has taught me time and time again is that if I just let go of those that playbook or I let go of a sense that other people will only pay so much for the thing that I'm doing, or if I let go of the idea that I need to be available, if I want to make real money, I need to be available. Remember your uh, sneakers? Like it was about, oh yeah, 10 years where Sue kept asking me, I just want to wear sneakers to a business meeting. Can I? Can I just wear sneakers? And I don't know when you finally decided I'm fine. I'm just going to wear sneakers, but it was life-changing. It was life-changing. But even then, Rachel, even then I didn't just do it. Of course I announced it on my blog. So it was official. So everyone would know this is intentional and I'm not just a slacker. Um, But I just wonder if some of this, that may be the play, you know, just letting go. Because if you, in, in my world, if I know that I can make abundance happen, I almost just look, I have to do some effort, but the effort is like, you know, like lifting a plate really in, in like world terms. It's just so easy for me. 
then, and I think for you, then even just in this conversation with you, I feel even more space opening up in my life, thinking about that thought. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't know what it is that's like the holding back. And I've, I've inched closer and closer to allowing things to happen and sitting with like feelings, which I know sounds so silly, but that's not something that I've, I've been necessarily good at. So um, and I both have very successful jobs because most people can't sit with their feelings. Yeah. <laughs> it's not silly. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Do you remember what our friend Jack Clayton said about the unknown over New Year's? I loved it. Go ahead. He said that there's this sense that when you're in the unknown, there's a story, I think, that is like, oh, we're in a roomy poem and there are flowers everywhere and yeah. the sun is shining brightly and we're fully enlightened and all the things. And one of the things he said just really landed with me. He's like, it's like walking in shit. Like it's totally dark. It doesn't smell good. It is a bit of a slog. Like the unknown is, in my, in my experience, that those moments of doubt are painful for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, through that part of like the adventure and that aspect of of those checklists is still allowing myself to play and playing safely, but maybe not, but, and I think it's pushing myself beyond comfort zone, which I don't know why I enjoy doing that. Like that's something that I enjoy getting that sense of it's proving to myself that I can actually do something not to anybody else really and putting it in a bio. And that's maybe why it feels so try to do that myself, but it's, it's proving that I can do this and that I can do things scared. And is that something you do because you enjoy or because you need to prove something to yourself for some reason? I think it turns to joy. I, I, I know I'll like it after I hate it for a few times, but I don't know why that is. And I mean, with biking, like cycling and doing different disciplines and learning, and I like learning new things. And then I feel like I develop a sense of mastery over time. And then I enjoy sharing that with other people and helping them overcome their fears in doing that. And it's similar in the adventure as well as in business. And like, we're not going to die if something went out wrong in an email campaign or like figuring out where you need to let go at work, which I've done a much better job of. And like I said, my leadership has completely changed and having a bit more empathy there. But um, yeah, so that's just like a thought. I don't know where that goes. You know, one thing that comes to me as I hear you is sometimes we talk about genius, things that you're great at, you love doing, and mo all of us have areas of genius when we're in it for joy or out of choice, then that's great. And, and we're actually not going to stop doing that. You're not going to stop challenging yourself. That's part of your personality. Sometimes though, when we have an area that we think we're good at, we can't not do that thing. Mm -hmm. You're actually become trapped by your own genius. So a lot of people get really overdeveloped at a certain skill. For example, pushing your comfort zone and being uncomfortable might be in some ways an overdeveloped skill that when you're uncomfortable, you'll keep defaulting to that rather than exploring the other half of life, 
which is like, what does arrived feel like? Yeah. And in that other half are all sorts of edges <laughs> um, of slowing down, of receiving instead of giving or serving. You know, there's tons to explore, but when when genius is overdeveloped, it can narrow life a little bit. So that's what I hear you saying. Like, I love it. And there might be some compulsion in it. For sure. I mean, I, that is me to a T and like happily self-sacrifice for a team, for a goal, for whatever that is. And if the flip side of that is having somebody do that for me, mm. that would be wild. Yeah. I mean, as, as a fellow challenger on the Enneagram, in my experience, I've made that extremely difficult for other people Yeah, because I'm so busy doing it for them that there's just no room left. Mm -hmm. Uh, One other thought I had as I listened to you talk is this idea of doing the thing, taking the challenge, feeling the pain, getting the pleasure of completion, and then sharing it with others the thing, every time you said that in this conversation, I thought that sounds like the definition of love for you. And I just wonder if you might be able to skip the other steps and just share with others. Mm-hmm. Even though I get that you have a belief, you have to do the suffering first. That would certainly be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Don't have to earn it. One last thing I just want to acknowledge. I heard you say early on that you had other things in life that you were self-identifying by or with, that you were using to identify yourself. And when I hear you talk about the bio or this next phase, to me, what I hear is just more grasping for something to identify you as if you in this moment isn't enough. I'd say that's accurate. <laughs> so I might just, it's just an invitation to notice when are, when am I looking for things to identify me? When am I just me sitting in my sweats, you know, on a Sunday, when, when or why that might not be enough and I need something else, a bio, a goal to define me. Could I let that go? Could I yeah. just let this be enough? How many of these podcasts have you done where people cry? Is every one of them is? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we have. <laughs> okay. I didn't even know you were crying. So there you have yeah, it. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rachel, it has been so nice to connect with you during this time. And I noticed that I got a lot out of your recitation of what you're experiencing right now. I just feel a lot of love for your experience and your willingness to be in discomfort, not just here, but it sounds like in many areas across your life for quite some time and and in service of learning and love and life. Um, So thanks for, thanks for sharing yourself with us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you again, all of you for joining us on the Hey Sue podcast with our guest coach, Leah Perlman. And thanks to our guest, Rachel Beisel who is the SVP of marketing at Molecule with a K and also does some C-suite 
outside contracting. She's stellar. And who knows, she may wake up tomorrow and want to make $50,000 in the next three months. So if you want to pair that or two times that, reach out on LinkedIn. Are you or someone you know, a business leader who wants to get a coaching session like this in exchange for sharing your truth on this podcast? If you are, we want to hear from you. Find Leah at welcomingway.com or me, Sue, at heysue.com and drop us a note to let us know you want to play with us. We'll see you next time on the Hey Sue podcast. Mm-hmm.